Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 14. Uh, today we are going to jump into the aspect of each candle, essentially. And the, one of the aspects that we wanted to teach on, what we wanted to understand, is hope. Hope is central to the Bible. It's one of the main aspects, main characteristics of Christ's ministry to us, is that he brings us hope and we receive hope. However, much of life... Um, I'm just so hot, the lights couldn't stand being on me. That's what that was. By the way, really quick, I have the, the least amount of shoe game in the entire world for people who are on the stage. Uh, Abe has Uggs. Uh, Ethan has these sick Nikes that I'm going to steal off of him. Um, and I don't have anything fun, uh, so I'm not hot at all. Uh, however, I wanted to redeem what hope looks like for us. Because if I was to tell you, hey, let's hope for something. Let's have hope in what's to come. Typically, you and I, in the world in which we have our culture, thinks of hope as very superstitious. It's finger-crossing. It's, I hope for something better. It's this lotto ticket type situation where we say, hey, we always have hope. We always have hope. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, you have no hope in the world. And you shouldn't. They're awful. But every single, you could say, oh, this is our year. This is our year. And every year, it's not. If you're a sports fan, you know what that feels like. If you're an, a, a person that maybe has some family baggage, you think to yourself, maybe this year's the, the different year. Maybe I have hope that we all get together for Christmas. It won't blow up in argumentation. We won't talk politics. We won't talk the past hurts and feelings. And you kind of cross your fingers and you, you might say a prayer and you're just saying, please, God, please, 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 please. That's our version of hope. Today, I want to redeem what Scripture calls hope, because Scripture does not give that understanding of hope at all. As a matter of fact, Scripture gives us an identity of hope that is not based on possibility or even probability. But the only way that you and I can have hope in this world, to wake up each day and face the onslaught of oddities that happen in our own heart, in the hearts of others, to go against work that is promised in Scripture, to toil against us, to go into relationships that are promised in Scripture to conflict with us. The only way that we can face these impending things each and every day we wake up is by one way and one way only, if we have assurance of something guaranteed. So today I want to tell you that hope is not a finger-crossing voodoo doll type deal. It is something much better. It is something much different. Scripture, hope, is something that in which it is grounded in endurance, and assurance of Christ. The enduring act of the assurance of Christ gives us the ability to face each day. And how I want to show you today is I want to say what hope you have in Christ, how you live by this hope, and where you live by this hope. What is this hope? How you live by this hope? And where is this hope? First, what is this hope? The Bible is full of hope. Like I said, it's one of the central themes of Scripture. And this secure reality that we have is based on the response of God's salvation. What I want to tell you today is actually, if you aren't in Christ, if you are outside of faith, if you don't have an understanding of salvation, you can't have hope. You can have, you can have 
living on a prayer type Bon Jovi type deal situation going on, I suppose. But you can't have hope. You can't have assurance. You can't have audacity to face the day. Later on, I'm going to try to expose to you that if you, without Christ, it is going to be impossible to wake up each and every day, roll out of bed, and face the day with any optimism. Rather, in Christ, because it's a response to the truth of God's salvation. That's what it is. Uh, like I said, it's, the Bible is just riddled with this. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that we have an inheritance, a, a hope of what is to come that cannot be taken away, cannot be spoiled, cannot turn rotten, cannot be revoked. We have a promise. We have an assurance. Think about that for a second as, as I continue to explain. 2 Corinthians says, <clears throat> we have a guarantee that is based on the Spirit, a deposit that it says is in heaven for us. This deposit by, based upon the Spirit is in heaven. This hope that we cannot see, that we cannot touch, is not based on possibility, but based on something that is already at hand and can never be taken from us. Now, if you grew up going to uh, church as a child, and maybe you went to VBS as a child, uh, maybe something in your head right now is, is sending off flash warnings. And you're like, hold on, pastor, hold on. I remember a whole week-long time in which we were talking from Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Philippians 4, and it said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pastor, ha, it's not, there it is, zinger, I got you. It's not based on possibility. What is that? It tells me that everything is possible. That's possibility. Well, if I may, you should be asking yourself that question. I make a statement that says, only those who are in Christ can have hope, and it's based upon a guarantee. It's not possibility. And you should be saying to yourself, hold on, we, we sing songs about all things are possible. Uh, if you believe, I mean, that's Disney, I swear. It, it's, it's not scripture. I want to tell, I want to show you, I want to explain to you, that's not scripture at all. Because in Philippians 4, it says, I can do all things through Christ who th strengthens me. And what, he, what, what the author's talking about, See, one of the things we have to do in Scripture, when we come to Scripture, is we have to understand the author's intent for Scripture. We have to understand, what, what was God saying to them that they said to us that they have an intent for that we must understand? And I think here's what the author was saying, if I understand the possibility, all things are possible. Um, I, right now, have the possibility of one day becoming President of the United States. I do. I haven't committed treason I haven't worked with outside forces to undermine the government. When I turned 45, I was born in this country. All of these things, I have the possibility of becoming president. Now, it's not going to hurt my feelings, church. Can I be president of America? No. <laughs> no. Wow, that was like, that hurt a little. I was like, I was like ready for that. Like I said, but, but still, it's, no, it, um, I won't be president of the United States. You know why I won't be president? Well, first of all, I, would, I never want that job. Not in a million years. I never want that job. Secondly, I won't get it because it's not possible, because I haven't been groomed. I, don't, I, ha I didn't have the right education. I didn't go to the right school. Is it possible I can? Well, of course, it's possible. Is it possible that I don't sin? This goes hand in hand with the catechism we just said. Is it possible that I cannot sin? It is possible, because I don't sin. So, ergo... It's possible I, I don't have to sin. Well, that's good. Okay. Will I sin? Yes. Can anybody keep the law perfectly? No. Is it possible for me to not sin? Yes. Will I sin? Yes. How does this, how does this operate? How does this come together? See, 
There's one thing of saying, here's the ideal that we can have access to. Another way of saying it is this, I now in Christ have the ability to not sin. Before, I had to sin. Even my good works outside of Christ, even my good behavior, even my good works and deeds and love and service to others without Christ was sinful. Because ultimately, if I wasn't serving Christ, who was I serving in all those good works? Me. I wanted my name to be known. I wanted my way of life to continue. I wanted service and money to go to institutions that I appreciated and I loved. I wanted my life to continue in perpetuity. See, what we have to understand is actually, actually a life of possibility is one of the most depressing lives I can ever imagine. It is. Here's what I mean by that. And this is, this is counter to our culture, isn't it? I just had a conversation with my son this week. It was gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching, this conversation I had with my son. My son was born with spina bifida, in which his legs do not operate the same as somebody else's legs. My son's dream, since he's watched me watch football, is he wanted to be an NFL quarterback. And this last week, I had to sit down with him after he was trying to make plans for life that essentially said, oh, Dad, I'm, I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. I'm going to sign up for tackle football, and I'm going to practice every day. And I had to sit down and say, son, you're never going to be an NFL quarterback. Here's why. And it was an hour-long conversation. And you might think of that and be like, wow, what a buzzkill, dude. <laughs> Like, let your, let your kid believe. Like, let him believe in, in all these different things. Actually, it would be so unloving for my son to believe that one day he could be an NFL quarterback. Why would it be unloving? Because he would spend his entire life focusing on that. He would make decisions. He would sacrifice other things, schooling, time with friends, other projects that he would love doing. He might convince me to try to get into the uh, Chicago Triathlon, and he's going to be on this bike that he can use with his hands. And he's going to outpace me. And, he, and we'll probably do that together as we try to learn adaptive things for him to get into. But if I didn't show him that, it would be unloving because I would be selling him a bill of sale that's a lie. Actually, the world of possibility, the world of hope of finger crossing is the most depressing state I could ever think of somebody. See, we like freedom. We like Opportunity and choice and anything's possible. We like that. But do you understand something about if I say to you anything is possible in your life? What's the, if I was to give a spectrum out, optimism or pessimism? And I say anything's possible. Where does your mind automatically go? Optimism. You're right, anything's possible. I could be a millionaire. I could live in a mansion. I could have this incredible car. I can have the perfect spouse and the perfect family. Anything's possible. Let's go get it. But if I tell you anything's possible, do you know what must be included in that spectrum? You winding up with your Netflix special because you're some sort of famous degenerate criminal. That's a possibility, isn't it? You go, oh, no, 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 not. No. <laughs> it's a possibility, okay? Let me just tell you that right now. And you say, no, 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 not me. Not me. Yes, you. And if you say, it's not a possibility, I then say to you, how do you have that hope? How do you have that guarantee? You say, well, without Christ, you can't. It's impossible. See, Ephesians, the scripture that was uh, read for us, is from an author who had two prayers. He starts this entire letter off with two different prayers. 
The first prayer is blessing to what God has given us on his lavish gifts. First half of the prayer is just praising God, being, God, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for these gifts. And the second prayer is all about assurance, being predestined, all finalized. All things already accomplished, sealed. What, what the author of Ephesians is saying to us is all the lavish gifts that God gave you and I, his word, his church, his son, his sacrifice, his love, his affection, all of those. That's the hope and assurance you can have that he is better than what you could ever give. Uh, it's Advent season. One of my favorite things about the Advent season is the song uh, Little, Little Drummer Boy. It's fantastic. Little, it's, it's the simplest thing in the entire world. The little drummer, drummer boy comes and he's just, he's like, I'm just going to play my song. It's like the one thing I know. I can't do everything else. I can't sing like an angel. I can't give these lavish gifts. I don't have gold or incense. I have nothing, but I have this little, this little ditty that I made up. It's on a drum kit. That's what you and I bring to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It's something small and seemingly insignificant compared to the treasure trove that he has in heaven. And yet, that's not the aspect of Advent that we need to focus on. The aspect of Advent is we come thinking we have a gift, and actually it's God's gift to us that makes us hopeful and have assurance. It's his seal. It's his guarantee. It's his work, not yours. Because the second you say, well, anything's possible, I can do anything, you're right, you can do anything, include, now church, I'm not, I'm not going to go deep into this. If you are the person who is responsible for your faith, if you chose faith, do you know what that also means about your faith? You could unchoose it. You realize that? If you were the one like, no, 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 faith is all mine, it's, it's not on Christ, I, I have it, I possess it, that means you can lose it. But if he possesses it, do you know what that means forever? It can never be lost because he is king of king, lord of lords. That's what it means. I had this friend that I used to go jogging with. Um, look, you do weird things when you're trying to evangelize to people, like go jogging every day. And he was this, it was this British guy, and I loved him to death. Uh, he moved away. And we would jog every day, and, and one day he finally had the audacity to tell me, he's like, Clint, look, I know you're a pastor. I know you like this Jesus guy. I don't believe in him at all. I don't believe there's a God at all. And he said, but do you know what's weird about that, Clint, is that's what I believe. And yet, if I really play that out, he was, he was very, very self-aware. This person was very, very self-aware. He said, if I play that out in totality, I shouldn't want to wake up tomorrow morning because how in the world do I face a day in which I am responsible for all the decisions before me? He goes, Clint, I know me. I'm awful. I can't be trusted. See, he had the audacity to admit that. He was so close to the gospel. He was so close. One of the aspects of the gospel is this, and, and quite honestly, uh, my wife and I were talking over, I, I was making dinner and we were going through this, and, and we have alpha courses and evangelistic courses to try to expose who this Jesus is to people, and those are great and good. But if I had a way in which I could create curriculum for evangelism, create curriculum to understand who God is and how faith works, it would be this. Are you willing to admit the first step in gospel acceptance? Are you willing to admit that you are not good and things that you do don't end in good? God is good. Everything he does ends in good. 
Because the second you are able to admit that, the second you're able to say that, is the second you're able to receive the gifts from God instead of believing you have to give gifts to Him. Do you see? It changes everything. And all of a sudden, your hope is not in, well, I hope this person likes me. I hope this person receives me. How do you know? Look at the gift He gave. How do I know that God's going to accept you? Because he gave up everything for you. There's nothing he didn't give up. That's how I know I'll be completely and utterly accepted no matter what I do. That will give you assurance. See, the prayer that Paul gives the church is to say, because of God's lavish gifts, because of his completed work, it is finished, as Christ says later on the cross. Nothing can be taken from you. That's the hope we have. I want you to start there. That's hope. Hope is based on the assurance of what God has done, what Christ has done. Second, how do we live with this confidence? There's many scriptures and many songs written about this. Uh, Motown is, is one of my favorite places to go to to talk about some, some gospel-saturated songs. There's no mountain high enough, no valley low enough to keep me from getting to you. Now, they add baby onto that, but if we took out the baby and added you, Christian, that would be you know gospel right there. Look, we can edit things. This is fine. In Scripture, God says there's nothing. But Paul, there's height, nor depth, nor breadth, nor sea, nor land, nor principalities, nor angels. Nothing will keep me from getting to you. Nothing can keep us from God because he came to us. Now, a lot of us might struggle with confidence in life. Is that fair to say? Uh, it, I'm not going to out people. I'm going to leave your identities sealed. Uh, but every time we're in the back and people come up and we ask them to pray or to read scripture or to do announcements, they're like, nope, can't do it. I'm like, why? They're like, I can't speak in front of people. I don't have the confidence to do so. That's a common thing. I, I'm sharing that to say it's a common occurrence, a common fear in our lives, is it not? We don't have the confidence to tackle our biggest fears in life. Maybe for you, it's that conversation you need to have with a loved one. Maybe for you, it's that boss that intimidates you every single time they walk down the hallway. Maybe it's that really weird neighbor that you don't know if they like you or not, and you meet eye to eye, and you don't know what had happened in the past. We have trouble with confidence. And there's all sorts of life hacks that we do to try to get over confidence. As a matter of fact, I watched a whole YouTube channel on it this time, where it was going over the show Peaky Blinders. If you haven't watched Peaky Blinders, I'm not recommending it to you because it's awful and bad and horribly sinful. Thomas Shelby is one of the main characters on it, and he has confidence. And they said, here's how you get confidence like him, and here are the hacks. Do these actions, you will become confident. And I look at it and I go, oh, this is such a joke. Because it's just a fraud, it's just a mask, it's just a front. I'll never be confident. It's me projecting confidence. It's me faking confidence. How do we live with the confidence of the assurance of God? We have to truly and completely know to live an anxious free life full of confidence. <clears throat> you must know that your victory is already in hand. That's how you know. You cannot think your, the victory is maybe in hand. You can't think, well, if I live a good life, I might be accepted by Christ at the end of my time. When I get to heaven, the pearly gates, Paul or Peter or whoever you know, church tradition says is going to meet me. And I'll, I'll have to say, okay, hey, why, do you, why should you get in? And man, I better be ready to answer that. See, that will live to an anxious life. If you think to yourself, the test is at the end, and I don't know if I'm going to pass. Med students, law students, 
seminary students, you have this fear, don't you? Finals come up and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to pass or not. I really hope I do. Fingers crossed. What if I was to tell you the week before all of those tests, what if I were to come to tell you, I, I, I made a time machine, I don't know why I'm spending my time coming back and telling you about your test, but let's just say we are. I come back and I tell you, hey, fear not, you passed your test with flying colors. How is your week of study going to be after I tell you that? Oh, oh, thank God. All of a sudden, your weight is lifted. All of a sudden, you're not so cranky. All of a sudden, when your friends ask you to go do something, you're not going to snap at them. You're going to say, yeah, let's go. Let's go hang out. Let's go have dinner. See, we think to ourselves, I must be confident to face these problems. And it's me. It's my skill. It's my merit. It's my ability. No. Those will never work for you. You'll never be confident. There will always be somebody smarter than you, stronger than you, faster than you, better than you, more loving than you, always. And if you think you're the most loving, strongest, smartest person in the world, I have psychologists in which you can meet with and talk to. That's not a good theory to have about yourself. Instead, if you said to yourself, I'm not the greatest and the smartest, but I know the one who is. That's how you live with assurance. There's this part of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's, it's this epic battle <clears throat> where Gandalf is sitting. Uh, they're, they're in this fortified area, and there's ogres and orcs and, and horrible things on the other side of, of a battened-down wooden area. And there's this little halfling, Pippin, and they're looking around, and all their friends have been slain, and there's no more hope in the world left, and the fight is brought to them, and they don't know what to do, and Gandalf is sitting next to him, and there's this banging at the door. Maybe this is in your life, school, or a relationship, or family, your sin, banging, waiting to eat you. The wolves are there. They're at the door. They're ready to break it down. And Pippin looks at Gandalf and says, Gandalf, I can't fight. I can't go. I can't do anything. It's all hopeless. And Gandalf looks at him and goes, oh, no, 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 Pippin. Because and, and they're afraid of dying. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of being slain. And Gandalf says, ah, Pippin, death is just a path on the journey. Pippin goes, thanks for the pep talk, man. That doesn't do me any good. And he goes, oh, yes, it does. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, ah, but now we have gray veils. We have shadows. One day, we'll see green fields, light, rivers beyond our wildest imaginations. And then Pippin goes, I guess that's not so bad. Gandalf says, no, not at all. And Pippin goes, if that's what awaits me, if it's not gray, if it's not doom, it's not gloom, and one day it's going to be green fields and waterfalls and rivers and trees in which we will all be satisfied, if that's where I'm going, if that's the journey, if that's the path... And he turns around and he says, let's fight. See, the only way that Gandalf could give him hope to stand up to the onslaught of life, bearing down the hatchet of you, of us, of him, is if we have a guarantee of what's to come later. If you have no guarantee, if you have nothing to live for. Church, can I encourage you with something? If we have nothing to live for, nothing guaranteed, nothing to come, can you have the audacity to admit that right now your life is meaningless? You're just another clump of cells in which are animated at a certain temperature, as Tim Keller would say. 
Do you have that audacity? Because if you believe that, if you truly believe that, do you know what happens in your life? You can't live. I promise you, depression, anxiety, pessimism. But instead, if you say, I have, as scripture says, I have an inheritance deposited for me, guaranteed, sealed of what's to come, I can be confident now. Maybe here's another way of putting it. If you have the cosmic maker of all of eternity speaking lavish praise against you, telling you how great you are, telling you how loved you are, telling you you're my child, you're beloved, who cares what anybody else says? I, I mean, don't do this, Pastor Abe, telling me I won't be president. I'm going to get him back for that. Don't worry. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm cooking in my head. If you were to try to insult me, you, you could try. And in my weak moments when I'm believing the world's word, it, it would hit me. It would, it would sting. It would get at my heart. But if I'm hearing from the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth of how great he thinks of me, do you know what I think of your insults? Okay. <laughs> uh, you can't beat him. And he speaks better praise than you do insult. That's confident. Which leads me to my next point. Where do we live in this hope? Just like Gandalf says, there, we live in the shadow. We live in the gray right now, don't we, church? I don't know about you, but we don't have green fields and waterfalls and rivers in which we're lavishly living by. And if you are, good for you. But we're not there yet. Uh, go back, and, and Bono is not just an old retired guy that had given his voice to sing too. Bono was an actual musician that had you too. It was a whole thing. And they have this song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And in the song, Bono exclaims, I've been everywhere. I've been to every city. I've been to every place. I've met every person. And he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And he's saying this, it's, it's Bono. Bono's a Christian. Bono, Bono's this guy who understands Christ. And he says, says, I will not find what my heart desires here on any plane, on any reality, on any person, or any country, or any culture, or any law, or any belief other than Christ. And even then, I won't get it until culmination of all of time. See, if death is just another path, just another path on the journey, one might say, you should ask yourself, well then, pastor, what's the, what's the goal in doing anything good now? If heaven is the only thing that's good and all of this is gray and shadow now, why should we even try to live here now? Why should we even try to do good now? Ah, that's a question you should ask if you have no hope. That's a question you should ask if there is no end. That's a question you should ask yourself. Uh, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, Sorry. <laughs> Um, I had some hot takes this week. Uh, one of them is I love mustard so, so very much. I was at a gospel, I was at a community group in which I expressed my love of, of mustard to them. They thought I was the weirdest person in the entire world. So much so that the leader of that community group got me a whole jar of mustard this morning, and I'm going to eat it, I promise you. One of my other takes is I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars, but there's this scene in Star Wars in which Poe is, is flying around, and he says, there's too many of them. Guys, I'm sorry. There's too many of them. We weren't enough. We can't do it. I'm sorry. We're going to lose. And all of a sudden, Lando comes on. And he says, are you sure about that? And he flies past the spaceship. And in front of him are these thousands of other spaceships ready to do battle. And then Lando says a very interesting word, very interesting phrase. He says, there's more of us than there are of them. And we think, yes, victory. 
church pause. Do you know what that statement means? If I have the power, if I have the votes, I can do anything I want. There's more of us than there are of them. That works if you're on the good side of things. What if you're on the bad side of things? And have you ever thought you might be on the bad side of things? You go, no, 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 no. I'm always on the side of good. Really? What in 50 years will stand the test of time of what you've produced today? What 50 years ago have we dismantled because we found it faulty and wrong? See, when we say there's more of us than there are of them, ha, let's take it to them. We're missing the point. Because do you know how many people were with Christ on the cross in which he died? No one. There weren't more Christians than there were Romans. There was one man on a cross, and he died. And his friends disowned him, didn't want anything to do with him. There weren't more of them than there were of somebody else. See, if your hope is based upon, well, we can get more people. It's the popular opinion. We can get vote. How many times in history have we voted to do things that are an abomination to God's decrees? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, I watched some World Cup this last week. No, I don't need the FBI called. This isn't a, a plea for help. I watched it willingly. I gather there was a controversy because one country put a, a design up of standings without the flag of another country. And it was in protest against this country having unspeakable, horrible acts against people of their own country, of citizens of their own country. And they said, well, this was our protest. This was us saying, how dare that other country? How awful that other country? And this country got a lot of flack, a lot of heat for it. Say, how, how dare you? How dare you think that you could tell another person how to live, another person how to have values? And this country said, well, we know it's wrong what they're doing. We know it's awful what they're doing. Do you see the arrogance involved with that? Now, I'm not even saying, taking a side of which one was right or wrong. I'm just suggesting to you that if we live in a world in which we say to ourselves, without God, I can know what's right. What do we mean by that? Without God, I know what's right. My way is better than their way. My way is better than all of your ways. And that's the gray we live in, isn't it? The gray is to say, you don't know what's best and I don't know what's best. How do we live like that? Ah, we should probably find one who does know what's best, shouldn't we? We should listen to the one who is above all, in all, and through all. We shouldn't say there's more of us than there are of them. Do you know why I say that? We live in a lifetime in which people are still alive, in which slavery, on the books currently are states that have slavery as an option for criminal punishment. We still live in it. Well, that needs to be taken off. I agree. But do you realize that it was voted in, codified, written by people? Maybe we shouldn't trust ourselves. Maybe we should trust another who is above and better than us. Without God, you cannot say this should be done or this should not be done. Hope in Christ changes your reality now because you do fight for things. You do fight to change things now with the promise of a hope of what's to come. And here's why. Many of us struggle with giving, don't we? Can we just agree? Selfishness is native to us. It's okay to admit that, I promise you. No one's going to hold that against you. It's our native operating system. 
to keep and to contain and to hold. We have a problem giving money to people. We have a problem giving to church. We have a problem giving to institutions, to releasing ours because we think it's ours. Do you know who the most giving people in the entire world should be? Should be? Those who have billions and billions and billions of dollars. Because I'm thinking to myself, what is, literally, if I was to take $100 from you each day and give it to it wouldn't make a dent in your wealth. It may make a dent in somebody who, who's just living above the poverty line. If I took $100 of them from them each day, that would, just, that would destroy them. That would cripple them. The people who have the most among us should be the most giving among us. Church, what if I told you that spiritually you've been given a wealth that is not able to compare to any dollar amount I could ever give you? Billions and billions and billions of dollars of a treasure trove of heaven heaped upon you in Christ, the spirit, his power, his presence, Jesus Christ loving you, looking favorably upon you. No sin can take you from him and no insults can ever break you. Wouldn't you be the most giving person in the entire world with your words, knowing that you have so many words from Christ to you? Wouldn't you automatically become the most giving person in the entire world, knowing that nothing can be taken of you? If I promised you, hey, in a year's time, I'm going to, whatever you're making right now, times it by 10. I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it in Bitcoin. No, just joking. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to lock it away in physical, actual money. <laughs> I'm going to put it under lock and key. No one can break it. No one can steal it. We're all going to watch it. It's all going to be there. 10 times your right now salary. And it's going to come to you after a year. It's, it's yours. No one can take it. Wouldn't that change how you live right now today? Wouldn't it change all of a sudden your gift-giving budget would blow up for people? You would walk on the street finding people who need help, and you would help them willingly. Why? Why would you do that? Because you know what's coming at the end of the year, don't you? Those who are in Christ have a life in which at the end of it, you're lavished with praise, nothing can be taken. You have all of eternity to live in the treasure trove of heaven, of the kingdom of earth come down to us in entirety of your eternal existence. Why aren't you more generous right now? You have the cosmic deities at your hand. Do you see that? Do you get that? We live in a broken system now. And the people who have been guaranteed a profit to come down the road, an inheritance that can never be taken, it's sealed, can never spoil, can never go bad, it's yours. No other name, no identity thief, no hacker, nothing can touch it. It would change how you live right now. So church, here's a little test for you. Here's a little litmus test. If you're not generous today, do you know what that means? And I'm... I'm there's no shame, no guilt with this. This is just diagnostic. Uh, when you go to the, the, the if you, those of us who drive cars, you go to the auto shop and the, the guy gets under it and says, wow, these tires are really, really thin. What have you been doing on them? You're like, ugh. <laughs> you find guilt and shame. But they're just diagnosing your car. All they're saying is you need new tires to make you healthy, to make your car healthy. Use this as a diagnostic tool, not a shame tool. If you're not generous today with what you've been gifted, your talent, your time, your energy, your heart, your intellect, your musical skills, your literary skills, your insights, your wisdom, 
your home, your hospitality, your money. If you weren't generous with that, do you know what you're saying? I must hold on to this because I don't know if I'm going to get any more. Winter's coming and I don't know how bad it's going to be. Winter's not coming. Unless Christ's a liar and he's not. How do I know he's not? Oh, church, Advent. That's how I know he's not a liar. How do I know we have a guaranteed inheritance to come? Because he came to us. I didn't have to go to him. He brought the good news to me as a babe in a manger, lowly, humble, small, insignificant. That's the hope I have. What is this hope? Complete assurance of what he's already done. How do I live in this hope? Knowing that nothing can be taken from me. That's how I live confidently. Where do I live this hope? Now. Church, now. Do not be those people who say, well, it's, it's me, Jesus, the Bible, and heaven. One day, whatever, it's all going to work out. Jesus has to forgive me. It's his job. Oh, church, you've missed the whole point. You should be the most generous people today because of what Christ has done for you, coming as a babe in a manger. That is Advent. That's what Christ did. Born of flesh, we can make today the future promised hope because his death was sealed, his life was sealed. Him being with us one day will be forever. Don't you want that? You have it. Let's take it. Pray with me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.